You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The dating apps all have a very big problem in that they don't do very much to identify users. And that's in large part why I created Marshmallow. Marshmallow is another dating app. There's lots out there. But what's different about it is that everybody has their government-issued ID checked, they have their selfie checked, they have their profile pictures checked. You literally can't post a picture of somebody that isn't yourself. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hey, Joe. Hi, Dave. we got some good stories to share this week. And later in the show, my conversation with Andrew Hendel. He's founder and CEO of a company called Marshmallow. We're talking about online dating. But first, a word from our sponsors at Know Before. We're not talking conspiracy theory when we say it's all connected. When it comes to InfoSec tools, effective integrations can make or break your security stack. Though not as common, the same should be true for security awareness training. Not only does Know Before deliver the world's largest library of security awareness training, but they also provide a way to integrate the various elements of your existing security stack to help you strengthen your organization's security culture. Stay with us, and in a few minutes, we'll hear from our sponsors at Know Before about how you can integrate security awareness with your tech stack like never before. All right, Joe, uh, before we jump into our stories here, we've got some follow-up from uh, someone named Gareth. Mm -hmm. uh, Wrote in with a question. I'll read it here. It says, Hi, Joe and Dave. I've been getting emails like this for a few weeks from several different email addresses, usually a text string with no special characters in the subject. The capitalization makes me suspect it's supposed to look like a password. The body usually has a number string like the one I've forwarded here. It'd be interesting to get your thoughts on this. I think they're probably trying to get a reply email from a concerned citizen who accidentally got your email with a password and then follow on a conversation from there. Hmm. Uh, And uh, Gareth did uh, send this along. And um, yeah, it's sort of a random string of characters in the subject line. Right. What do you make of this? The body is just uh, a six-digit number. Yeah. Looks random. My initial thinking on this is that this is somebody validating a list, a mailing list, Mm. that they've got a list of email addresses and they've got an automated process that sends these out and then looks for the bounce backs and removes those addresses that bounce back from the list. Right. So it's just a way of refining it. But the thing that points to that not being the case is Gareth says he's gotten a few of these. Mm -hmm. You only need to do that once to (laughs) validate an email. Yeah. You know, it's good. I don't know. Gareth might be right that it's a uh, it's an attempt to elicit a response. Don't respond, of course. That's the best thing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, my I, th- I still think this might be a somebody churning through email addresses just to verify them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. 
it's a way to make their if if it's someone who's selling a list of email addresses, it's a way to make that list more valuable. Right. By saying uh, this is a validated you know list. That's a good point. Um, if they're selling that list and they want maybe one of their selling points on the black market or or maybe it's a real market. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, could could be legitimate business practice. Uh, legitimate air quotes. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, they they go through the process of of validating the emails on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. You know. So uh, yeah. Oh, we validate this every every uh, every week by sending out an email that uh, you know if we hear if we don't hear back from them, we know that the email is good. It's a good address. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that that makes sense, and uh, I'll go with that. Yeah. <laughs> but I I think your advice is good. Uh, don't reply. Right. All right. Well, of course, we would love to hear from you. If there's something you'd like us to discuss on the show, you can email us. It's hackinghumans at n2k.com. All right, Joe, I'm going to kick things off for us with our stories here this week. Uh, I've got a story. Uh, this came through Yahoo Yahoo News, rather. And it's actually from the Australian Associated Press, hmm. uh, article by Rex Martinish. And it's about a woman who was manipulated by hackers into money laundering. Mm. So uh, it's kind of the sad story of a woman named Rosemary Eckel. She's 68 years old. Mm. Uh, and she was found guilty by a Brisbane Supreme Court uh, jury of five counts of knowingly dealing with proceeds of crime, basically money laundering. Right. Now, the way that this played out is that she had been previously victimized by a hacking group for $600,000. They got $600,000 out of her? They got $600,000 out of her back in 2010. Wow. So okay. 13 years ago, and this was someone, wait for it, claiming to be a Nigerian political leader. Okay. So in 2010, she fell for a Nigerian prince scam uh-huh. for $600,000. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, it could, who knows, you know, her, her retirement account, her sure. family, it could just be the money she'd squirreled away over the course of her life. Right. But that is a large sum of money, and she had lost it. A hacking group came along, and I'm going to put odds out here that it was probably the same group. Probably. They knew that they had someone here who'd fallen victim to something, and they convinced her that they could help her get that $600,000 back if they just played along. Hmm. And so what happened was over the course of uh, about a year, uh, according to this, was between May of 2019 and July of 2020, um, she was basically serving as a money mule. She was using her bank account to be the go-between for funds that were transferred between folks who were cheating people out of money right. and then sending it on to, you know, the ultimate, who knows, could be another money mule or directly to the crooks here. Some of the attempts to pass money through her account got flagged and failed. Uh, there was one they call out here in this article that was, $850,000. Huh. Uh, and that got tagged and, and didn't go through. Right. What's interesting is that uh, this woman, basically the judge went easy on her. Uh, the judge said that um, she has no criminal history. Uh, she'd lived in Australia since 1975 after migrating from Malaysia. Mm-hmm. And the judge said that uh, imposing a full-time sentence would cause exceptional hardship to her because she, not the least of which, she'd be automatically deported. Mm-hmm. Um, and her family members rely on her for support. 
Uh, she has a degree in accounting. Uh, she works as a paralegal. Hmm. Uh, so other than this, she's had no run-ins with the law and is, by all accounts, a good contributing member to Australian society. Uh, so the judge, um, she was sentenced to three years imprisonment, but he ordered her to be released on $1,000 and a five-year good behavior bond and that she attend counseling for the next two years. So, a, a, you know, $1,000, a, a bit of a slap on the wrist. Yeah. But... Um, and not to mention, I mean, of course, there's the 600000 that she's out from the original scammers. Right, but right. I, you know, I, I guess I think it's good that she got the light sentence that she got. But on the other hand, the judge points out that, that she knew what she was doing. She's an accountant. She's an accountant, right. right. <laughs> she, she's very familiar with the practice of money laundering. Right. Yeah. Right. And But— they went easy on her because of the uh, circumstances that they felt like she was under tremendous um, emotional stress right. from these hackers who Did she were, cooperate with the investigation to help them bust more hackers or anything? You know, that's a good question. I, I don't know the answer to that. I, mm. I know, you know, the, the police, it was the, the, the large sums of money that were flowing through her bank account that made the bank take notice. And right. Then the bank reached out to law enforcement and the law that's enforcement it. came and knocked on her door and What's said— What's going on here? Yeah, we'd have to have a nice little friendly conversation with you. So I don't know. This article doesn't specifically say whether she cooperated. I would imagine that she did. Right. Uh, otherwise, it wouldn't have had the outcome that it had. But it, I think it's just an interesting sort of tale that's woven here. Um, on the one hand, certainly she was a victim— Right. On the other hand, she did something that she certainly knew was wrong. Yeah, agreed. Uh, but the justice system uh, here in Australia thought that there was extenuating circumstances and decided to go easy on her. I wonder how much she made while laundering money. Actually, uh, that was part of the story here. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, they said that there was no evidence that she had directly benefited from this, uh, except evidently she spent $1,300 on a dental treatment. Huh. So she wasn't taking anything off the top. It seems as though she, the thing that was stringing her along was the hope that she would get her original ah, sum of $600,000 back. Okay. Yeah. Which, of course, you know, that money's long gone. Yes. Yeah. A any thoughts here, Joe? Yeah. It's interesting that she wasn't taking any money from this process. Mm -hmm. that, that's, that's what makes me more okay with the light sentence mm -hmm. is that she wasn't profiting. If she had profited and made, you know, $600,000 or even more, then I'd be like, well, there's something something else going on here. Yeah. Right? But generally, when you're laundering money for somebody, you take a cut of that. Right. Right. Right? You, you don't do that service for free. Sure. <laughs> it's, it's something that has to happen this way. Maybe these guys were really coercive. Yeah. And maybe, or maybe they were just stringing her along, like you suggest, and say, you know, when, when this is all over, you can have your $600,000 back. Right. Exactly. Yeah. If I'm, well, first off, I'm not going to do this. Uh, I hope, I hope, <laughs> God, I hope I don't fall for this. <laughs> but I'm going to want to see something up front, you know, I'm going to see some, want to see something from each transaction. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting. It's, it's, it's a bit of a conundrum there, too, because, you know, if she's, it, if she were to demand money up front, then that changes the equation a bit. That, right, of the sentencing. Sure right, does. Right. 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 So, I don't know. Maybe, I mean, maybe what she really should have done was gone to law enforcement right off the bat when 
this first came to pass. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, she thought maybe there was a chance that she'd get that money back. And, yeah, I'm smart. I can get this back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. That is my story this week. What do you have for us, Joe? Dave, my story comes from a listener named Doug, who is a host of a web page mm. online. And that page gets around 15,000 page views a week. Okay. So, of course, hosting this blog cost Doug money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he started an account with a company called Buy Me a Coffee. You ever heard of Buy Me a Coffee? Uh, yes, it does sound familiar. My- microfunding site, if you will. Okay. They partner with a company called Stripe, which is a uh, payment processing company. Sure. And when you have a Buy Me a Coffee account, they can either put money directly into your Stripe account or they can put it in your bank account. Mm. Doug uses Stripe which provides him with some interesting insights. Uh, And he got a few low-dollar transactions that failed on his Stripe account. And he sends five of them along in this email. Hmm. Oddly, every single one of them was for $5, Mm -hmm. right? And Stripe provides a lot of information about these these different decline transactions. Here's one where the status was not declined or failed, but actually called blocked. And it said, you previously attempted to charge this card. When the customer's bank declined that payment, it directed Stripe to block future attempts. So Stripe doesn't even try that one anymore. Okay. So apparently there's a way for these these credit card processing companies to receive information from the issuing institution that says, don't process this anymore. Right. Which is good. Yeah. I think. Yeah. The next one that he sent along is one that came from a, uh, a MasterCard credit card, and that one was just declined. This was from a, uh, an address in Ecuador. And then finally, he sent one along from a MasterCard prepaid card from Kenya. Huh. So these are coming from all over the world, which is really interesting. Doug notes some interesting points here. And one of the first points is that the email address of all of these people on this list were, were for women. Hmm. They, were, they were feminine names. Okay. And his site caters largely to a male audience. Now, 5% of his audience may be women. Okay. But the majority of them are men. Okay. So that's weird that women would want to support this, or at least 100% of women with the failed transactions would want to support this. Right. Right. It's kind of strange. Yeah. All the emails are from Hotmail, Google, or Gmail, or uh, Yahoo or Gmail. Right. Right? Okay. So yeah. they're all disposable email addresses. Right. Uh, and he notes that the country's of origin for these are Ecuador, Kenya, Israel, Bolivia, and the UAE. Hmm. And that these countries don't typically have uh, an audience that would be interested in his site. Okay. So what Doug thinks is happening here is that someone is using his site and his buy me a coffee account to test stolen credit card numbers. Mm. Mm -hmm. And once they have that test, it comes back positive. Then uh, if they can if they can charge the or donate the money to Doug, then they can go out and sell this as a good credit card or, you know, they can use it themselves. Right, right. I picked this story because it's an actual inside look from a kind of an adjacent victim. Yeah. I mean, Doug's not really losing money here, but he is being used to test these kind of, uh, he's being used in this criminal enterprise. I'm sure he's not happy about that. Right. And buy me a coffee and Stripe are also involved in this. Uh, and they're also probably not happy with it. Kind of provides a glimpse into the underworld of how this works. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's not surprising. I mean, I think we've we've covered these sorts of stories before, where 
these folks are out there testing out the credit cards, as you say. Right. Um, and they'll use I, – I guess it's one of the things with um, having things be online. It's not like you have to walk into a store and swipe a card. How hard is it to find an online commerce site? Right. right. It's a not small, hard at all. No. And I guess what they're presuming here is that someone like Doug, who has a small business, literally a small business. Right is using a small service provider that typically handles small payments. So a small payment isn't going to cause a red flag. Right. You might have a dollar value set. Uh, right. So notify me anytime something above $10 happens. Right. Right. But uh, even like— All know, my dollar values are set at one. Yeah, but <laughs> right. like even the buy me a coffee people, you know, right. their $5 is probably a pretty common transaction value oh, for Oh, absolutely. I would yeah. imagine that that gets lost in the shuffle. Another interesting thing is that there's no, this is not something that um, that requires you to wait around for a product, right? You're not buying something online. You're just giving somebody five bucks yeah, or maybe two bucks, whatever. You know, these micro donation sites are a great way, uh, a great way to test these cards out. Yeah. They could be, you know, they're, they're a tool that, like I say all the time, a tool can be used for good or it can be used for evil. So here we are seeing it being used for evil. Do you suppose this is something where they could just script it so that, they're just spewing credit card numbers at sites like Doug's in, a, in an automated kind of way? I'll bet absolutely that it's scripted. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I'm almost cer- certain that it is. If it wasn't scripted, that would be a huge waste of manual effort, mm-hmm. you know, copying and pasting credit card numbers. Yeah. Although there's certainly plenty of places where labor is cheap. Yes, indeed. So. <laughs> That's the case. Yeah. But usually and, those places are also populated with people who can program. <laughs> That's true. That's and they true. can write a Python script that'll do this all day long. Yeah. All right. Well, very interesting. And uh, thank you, Doug, for sending that in. We do appreciate it. Joe, it is time for us to move on to our catch of the day. Dave, our catch of the day comes from Brandion, who writes, Hi, Dave and Joe. I got this one yesterday. To put an ad on my car it seems sus. And you would have to pay me more than $600 to turn my car into an advertisement for you. Thank you for the great podcast. Uh, it was a text message, Dave. Oh, okay. Yeah. It says, hello, would you kindly permit Venom Energy Drink <laughs> 10-inch logo or sticker on your bike, car, or truck and make $600 every week? Click the link to get started. And then there's a link to an office, uh, office.com forms page. Mm. Uh, Dave, I would hereby like to offer my services to anybody that wants to pay me $600 a week to put a bumper sticker on my car about 10 (laughs) inches long. Sure. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Right. Who wouldn't? Uh, This is almost certainly a scam because there are companies that will do this for you, but you, first off, you'll never make $600 a week. I looked around. You're going to make at most like $500 a month. Oh, okay. uh, Which is not chump change. No. But- your ad, the ad on your car, it, your car is going to be an advertisement. Right. <laughs> it's right. It's going to be huge. It's not going to be a 10-inch uh, bumper sticker on your car. No. And I also, I imagine those, those uh, what are they called? The, the triangular ones you see on top of taxi cabs. Yes. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. But, it's going to be kind of like that. But that it's would actually going to be like all over your door, maybe even your window. Right. You know, it's, it's, these things are huge. I see them frequently in Baltimore. Oh, okay. And, uh, you know, people are, people are, have, have a side hustle. Yeah, you know, they're doing this. Yeah, if you so, and sure, if you're out there, I don't know. Let's say you were um, 
uh, what do they call it? An Uber driver. That's a great, great example. An Uber right. driver, or uh, I was going to say, uh, like a courier. Right. You know, you're out, you're out on the roads all day anyway. Why not make a little extra money? Yep. With that, you make more money the more miles you drive. So right. It'd right. be best if you were a courier or an Uber driver. Yeah. What do you suppose happens here if you try to follow through on that? That is a good question. I have an idea. You, what's your idea? Well, I'm going to guess that this is some kind of advanced fee scam where mm-hmm. they call and they say, listen, you're going to make $600 a week. All you need to do is pay $50 or $100 or whatever it's right. going to be uh, for the hardware that you're going to need to put on your car. Right. Because we don't want to damage your car, Joe. So we're going to send you this special magnetic sign for $50, and then you'll be able to make $600 a week. Right. And then you send them the 50 bucks, you never hear from them again. Right, that's it. <laughs> that could right. be it. Uh, I think that the information you enter in the form is probably also good. I didn't click on the link to the form. I didn't want, you know, in the, in the event that this was some unique link, I didn't want them want to let the people know that uh, Brandion sent this to us or responded to the to the. Right, right. At all. So I I didn't do that. Yeah. We got a hot one, folks. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Thanks to Joe. (laughs) And that's when Brandion stopped listening to Hacking Humans. (laughs) Because he spent all of his time deleting spam text messages. All right. Very interesting. And uh, thank you, Brandion, for sending that in. We do appreciate it. Again, you can email us. It's hackinghumans at n2k.com. Back to the concept of integrations. Nobefore's Security Coach uses standard APIs to quickly and easily integrate with your existing security products from vendors like Microsoft, CrowdStrike, Cisco, and dozens of others. Security Coach analyzes alerts your security stack generates to identify events related to any risky security behavior from your users. With this information, you can set up real-time coaching campaigns to target risky users based on those events from your network, endpoint, identity, or web security vendors. These campaigns enable you to coach your users at the moment the risky behavior occurs, with contextual security tips delivered via Microsoft Teams, Slack, or email. With 35 integrations and counting, Security Coach delivers the insight you need to improve your organization's security culture. Learn more about Security Coach at knowbefore.com slash security coach. That's knowbefore.com slash security coach. I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Andrew Hendel. He is founder and CEO of an online dating site called Marshmallow. And they're taking a kind of interesting approach to online dating. Uh, I I go so far as to say it's a niche approach. Yep. Uh, And uh, I think it's a really interesting uh, run they're making at this. So here's my conversation with Andrew Hendel. There's a a number of different online dating apps. I believe there's over a thousand, in fact. Some of the main ones that people may have heard of are Tinder or Bumble or Hinge. The dating apps all have a very big problem in that they don't do very much to identify users. And that's 
in large part why I created Marshmallow. Marshmallow is another dating app. There's lots out there. But what's different about it is that everybody has their government-issued ID checked. They have their selfie checked. They have their profile pictures checked. You literally can't post a picture of somebody that isn't yourself. In addition, we check over 300 government databases. There's one in all 50 U.S. states. And we exclude over 700,000 registered sex offenders. According to the FBI, over 1 in 10 registered sex offenders has an online uh, dating profile. They're not on Marshmallow. Well, help me understand here for uh, the other dating apps that are out there. Um, it seems to me like by not being so uh, particular about folks' identities, that decreases friction. And does that increase the number of users on their platform? Is, is that the rationale typically? Yeah, some of the dating apps, they might focus on onboarding users very quickly. There is some friction involved in checking people's IDs. There's also some cost involved in checking people's IDs. A lot of the other dating apps, they might have a feature that's called verification, but it's not quite like what Marshmallow is doing. It might just involve somebody taking a selfie and maybe they compare it only then and there to people's profile pictures to make sure they match. But then in the future, you can go ahead and upload profile pictures of somebody that isn't yourself. And they'll still say that you're verified, even though you're representing you are somebody other than what you actually look like. There's a number of things that people can do wrong. There's a number of reasons why people might want to catfish. People might be trying to scam you out of money. They may be insecure about how they look or how old they are, or maybe uh, you know they're, they're doing something that's really harmful and trying to cover it up and maybe even harm you. You know, it's an interesting point about, uh, you remind me when you mentioned that, you know, folks will sometimes upload pictures that look younger than they are. I, I uh, have jokingly suggest that everyone needs to have a best friend who lets them know when it's time to update their profile picture, because I think we're all guilty of, you know, letting time go by and uh, suddenly the, that person in your profile picture doesn't really resemble you anymore. Is, is that a common uh, problem here with a lot of the online dating platforms that what you see is not necessarily what you're going to get? People can post pictures of themselves that are 5, 10, 20 years younger than how old they actually are. Mm. They might be going on dates with people and they might be much older than what they are representing. People might not be who they are representing themselves to be at all. Somebody might represent themselves to be a woman. They're not a woman. They might represent themselves to be a man who's completely different than who they actually are. There are some very real risks that come with meeting a stranger off of an app. And to deal with those risks is a very big part of why I started Marshmallow and why I think it's a very good experience for a lot of people because there are all these extra safeguards that are in place. Well, let's dig into some of the details there. I mean, from your point of view, what are the responsibilities of the platform that provides this sort of service? You know, a dating app, they should be verifying people's identities. They should be excluding registered sex offenders. They should be making sure that people aren't posting pictures of somebody other than 
themselves, the people that you're talking to online, they should be that actual person. They shouldn't be somebody else. I do think that those are all responsibilities of these dating apps. A lot of them in their terms and conditions, they'll say, you can't be a sex offender and join our app, but they don't do anything to check. Whereas Marshmallow, we, we check, we exclude those people. Where do we stand with dating apps in, in terms of selling your information? You know, that, that's a, a really common way for online platforms to make some extra money. Is that rampant throughout the industry or are they taking your personal information and providing that to advertisers, for example? I can't speak for other companies. I know that Tinder does advertise, but I can't speak for, for them Marshmallow does not share anybody's information with anybody else, and we don't advertise at all. Mm. What are some of the other sorts of online uh, problems that you're trying to solve here with Marshmallow? I mean, what are some of the common issues that folks run into when they're using an online dating platform? So sometimes people will match, and maybe one or the other person will have second thoughts about it. They may not be as interested as they thought they were initially, and the other party, they might send a message, not get a response, send another message, send message after message after message, maybe getting a little bit irritated that they're not getting a response. On Marshmallow, you can't double text unless you get a response. So if you know a man matches with a woman, the woman thinks twice about it, the guy can't message her over and over and over again. The idea is to prevent unwanted messaging and prevent some harassment before that happens in the first place. Can you take us through some of the process here as you were planning out the features you wanted to include here? I mean, what was the what was the rationale and what was the process? It sounds as though you were very deliberate. Yes, you know, I, I have a younger sister. She's nine years my junior. I see some of the risks that she takes when she's going out, as you touched on earlier, She'll always text a friend where she's going, when she's supposed to be back. There's a lot of precautions that people have to take these days when they're meeting somebody online. I wanted to create a safer online dating experience, one that took technology from the banking world. I have a experience in financial services and use that technology to improve the safety for people in online dating. And what are some of the technologies that you're using there? I mean, I mean, you mentioned the verifications. It's, it strikes me that uh, this presents a lot of upfront cost for you and your organization. There is a cost to checking people's IDs. Fortunately, with artificial intelligence, some of that cost has come down. Then the hope is that with more value being added to the network. We're verifying people's identities, their ages, we're excluding sex offenders. The goal is to then, you know, make some of that up in terms of lower support costs because we're not going to have fake users. And maybe, you know, people be willing to pay a little bit more to uh, participate in the app. It's a free app. Everybody can join for free. We don't charge anything to check IDs, but there we do have a freemium business model where people pay uh, extra to get some extra filters that they can use to sort who they're looking for 
or to pay to buy super likes so they are preferentially shown to some people. You know, it strikes me that this is a situation where folks are particularly vulnerable. You know, when they're out there, they're they're looking to start a relationship with someone. They're, um, you know, there's a certain emotional rawness that I think can come with that. What sort of recommendations do you have for po- for folks who are starting this journey, who are looking to to find someone they'll connect with, but at the same time, you know, they want to do it safely. We have a number of safety tips that are on our website. They're not they're relevant for Marshmallow, relevant for any kind of dating app or even any kind of dating experience. We have a, a list of tips for in-person dating as well. Some of the things that I think people should look for are a dating app that prioritizes user safety. It's always a good idea to keep personal information to yourself. On Marshmallow, we only share people's first initial. Your name is your business. If you want to share your name, you're welcome to do that. But we're not going to automatically just share your name. It's advisable not to send explicit photos. People can ask for explicit photos and then you provide them. The other person might try to blackmail you with those photos or post them and embarrass you in some other fashion. It can be a good idea to video call first. Always good to take your time and ask questions on a lot of dating apps, Marshmallow included. There's moderation that's involved in the text messaging. And what some people will try to do is they'll try to get people off the app right away and into another social network where there might not be those precautions that are in place. It can be good to do a researcher date. And then, you know, if anybody asks for money, that's always a, a big red flag. You shouldn't be giving money to anybody that you've not met in person. What's been your experience so far as you've been you know, spinning up this startup company and, and making a run at uh, making a dent in the online dating world? How's it going? It's going well. We're hearing a lot of positive feedback from our users. There's been a lot of press interest. Uh, recently, Tinder and Garbo, they split up. Tinder was doing these background checks through Garbo. That's no longer happening with Marshmallow, we have, you know, verification that's in place. So you can be sure that people aren't a sex offender. It mitigates some of the need for a background check. And we're hearing people really like that feature that's built into Marshmallow. Suppose that, you know, I was someone who was trying to get onto your service here and not say that I am who I am. You know, what, what would be the things that would catch me along the way there? You'd be caught right away. You would have to give a government ID to join the app. We use the same technology provider that's used by major financial institutions. So if you're spoofing me and and them, you're also going to be able to spoof banks. There's not a lot of people who are going to be that sophisticated. I've tried doing it with, you know, fake ID kind of created that was online or you know, people have, people have tried to attack the system, and it's caught those attempts to attack the system. So you wouldn't be able to join without your actual driver's license. And then the next thing we do is we check your selfie. So that has to match your driver's license. You can't use a driver's license that's somebody else. It has to be your own driver's license. And then when you go to put pictures on your profile, we use artificial intelligence to make sure that those pictures, they match your 
selfie and your government ID so that you can't post a picture of somebody else. I tried to post a picture of George Clooney. I think there's a resemblance. The app would not let me post that picture of George Clooney. That must have been very disappointing for you, Andrew, right? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Joe, what do you think? Tons of dating apps there are. Yeah. I mean, you can look them up all the time, and they're always changing. New ones are coming up for special niche markets. But this one, Marshmallow's niche is verification. Right. Right. And they're using uh, a lot of tools to make sure that you are who you say you are so that when it comes time to interact with somebody, you're much, much, much more likely to be talking to a real person. Right. 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 Interesting about the one in 10 registered sex offenders having a dating profile. That, yeah. was, that was new information to me. I'd like to see where that came from. Uh, he said it came from the FBI. I could go down a rabbit hole on this. You know? <laughs> have you ever looked up in your neighborhood to see? Oh, yeah, where absolutely. The, yeah. I have kids. I want to know where, where the bad guys are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, obviously nobody, uh, it, it, it's good that we have these lists and everybody wants to be mindful of it. I will just say that um, there are things that can get you on the sex offenders list, like public urination. Right. That I think are, you know. Yeah. I don't think that make you a sex offender? Right. Right. It's not, right. You, you're not a risk to somebody else. Exactly. You happen exactly. to uh, relieve yourself in public. You know? Right. Right. I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, you know, I think it's good that we, we as a community, it's good that we can have a list and check and be aware to see what's going on near us. I guess the only reason I bring that up is just be mindful to not pass judgment uh, too quickly without getting the whole story. Right. You know, before you bring down the hammer and try to have somebody run out of your neighborhood. Right. <laughs> just because they're on the list, you know. Yeah. Find out what happened. Right. Uh, well, I'm sorry. That was, a, that was a bit of a tangent there. Well, That's let's, okay. Let's get back to Andrew. Uh, I was going to talk about the uh, percentage of people that's like 0.2% of people are registered sex offenders. Mm. So uh, that means 0.02% of these people have dating profiles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what percentage that makes up of the dating population, but yeah, according to Andrew, none of them are on Marshmallow. There you go. Which I think that would be a selling point for me. <laughs> right. A lot of dating apps have it in their terms and conditions that you can't be a registered sex offender and then don't do anything to verify it. Yeah. Right. Here we are with big tech again, moving fast and, and not being able to do things at scale. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's probably more to the legal department so that they have right. plausible deniability should yeah. something go bad. Well, right. we told those registered sex offenders to stay off our platform. Right. Uh, he violated our terms and conditions. That's on him. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I, I don't think that's going if you, if to, if you're somebody that has uh, a dating site and, and you're not take, doing due diligence to keep sex offenders off your site and somebody gets harmed, as a direct result of using your site, I don't think that's going to hold up very well. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, especially now that there's a company like Marshmallow out there that just does it. Yeah. Right? That's another question for Ben, I would guess, though. We need <laughs> right. to have him on call. <laughs> See, sure. On speed dial. <laughs> right. To answer our legal questions. Right. Sure. <laughs> I, that wouldn't be annoying to him at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> there are all kinds of bad reasons why people will be dishonest on dating platforms, right? And it ranges from the, you know, what we've been talking about here to just someone putting older pictures on themselves so they appear younger in their profile. Right. 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 
I like your your point about having a friend that tells you when uh, when it's time to update your profile picture. Right. <laughs> right. right. Trusted might, friend. It might be time for me to update my profile <laughs> pictures. Right. Because my hair is a lot grayer than it used to be. Yeah. Or maybe I don't want to do that. Who knows? <laughs> but there's always some big risks involved with dating sites and dating in general. And uh, there are some basic requirements, I think, for a dating app that should be in the system for safety. Uh, I like the no double texting, mm-hmm. right? You can't be harassed. I like the idea of not selling information. That would be good. These are more privacy concerns uh, as, I get, as I go on. The double texting is more of a security concern. Yeah. Um, but no ads, I would like to see that as well. There is a cost to doing this verification up front. But I think Adrian's point is 100% valid that when down the road, you don't need to go hunting for these bad accounts because up front, you verified every single account. Right. So there is no use case where somebody says, hey, this account's fraudulent. I mean, I think at some point there will be that use case. Somebody will get through the system, but those are going to be very few and far between. Right. And uh, that is going to be a huge cost savings. Uh, Safety tips for dating in on, uh, on apps or anywhere, really. Uh, keep your personal information private. I like what Andrew is talking about and how you can keep your religion private unless the person shares a religion with you. Right. I, right. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. I, I think that's wonderful. Uh, and you can do that with political beliefs too. Yeah. That's fantastic. Uh, one of the big things, watch out for platform switches. This is one of the biggest red flags in any any scam. Right. Uh, because, it, and it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. If you're on Facebook Marketplace, if you're on Match.com, if you're on Craigslist, somebody starts saying, we need to move over to Signal or we need to move over to Telegram, you're done. Yeah. You're done with the conversation. Yeah. Because that's just how they're going to escape being hammered by those uh, those companies, getting the ban hammer, if you will. Right. Don't provide explicit photos. I can't say this enough. I, I, and I, I'm, I'm surprised that people still do it. Uh, but so many cases we've all heard of where this goes bad, mm-hmm. even with people that you know and trust. Right. Right? Down the road, you don't know how that's going to turn out. Don't do that. Don't, <laughs> don't, sh- don't send explicit photos to somebody. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. I think that is a good safety tip at the same time. I'm I'm careful not to pass judgment on people, you know, not to yuck someone's yum. No, right? I'm, I get it. I know <laughs> yeah. why you're doing it, and and, yeah. it's, and it's you know, and maybe it's it's. I guess it's just one of those things that if you're going to choose to do it, right, be extraordinarily careful, Ex- like you're, extraordinarily you're, selective, and your care should be commensurate with the amount of risk that is involved here. Right. And when you're, if you're sending someone an explicit photo, the, the amount of risk is huge. Right. Just remember <laughs> right. that there's, there's, there's always the chance that that is published one day. Right. In an attempt to embarrass you. Right. Or leaked, you know, or leaked. Right. out of, out of control of either you or the person that you're sending it to. Yep. That's a good that happens point all the time. Yep. So it's not that you don't trust the other person. You also have to trust Everybody people, that touches that data along the, the way. The people who own that platform or the people who may buy that platform in the future. <laughs> right. Right? That's a good point. Yeah. There's a lot of implicit trust there, and I, I just don't have that much implicit trust for anybody. Right. Right. Uh, I like Andrew's, uh, Andrew's tip about having a video call. Mm-hmm. Have a video call with somebody. If they don't turn their camera on and they give you some BS reason for the camera not being wor- not working or I don't have a camera or something like that, hang up. You're done. That's it. <laughs> right, right. Chances are that's a scam. Everybody has a camera now. Everybody has a camera now. If you're going to meet somebody in person, meet them in a public place and drive your own car. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that's another thing. Don't, you know, be ready to leave that area as soon as you need to. Um, and here's, here's a great thing. This happened uh, recently with, um, I can't remember who it, was, who it was, but somebody in my family was meeting somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we said, do you need us to get a table at the restaurant? They don't know what we look like. We can be sitting there at another table just in case things go a little bit weird. Oh. We'll be there. Okay. Um, so if you have friends you trust, have them do that. Right. Whoever you're meeting won't know who your friends are. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's pretty, uh, a pretty common, uh, tactic these days for someone to, again, be in touch with a trusted friend and say, Hey, I'm going out on a blind date tonight or whatever, you know, uh, if you don't hear from me at this time, text me. And I'm going to use that as my excuse to get out of the date. Right. You know, or something like that, right? But, and that way, you know, somebody knows where you're going. Uh, it's all, all those safety things that sadly are necessary these days, but you got to be safe out there. Yeah. We used to have a code word in college called the lizard woman. <laughs> oh, go on. So, okay, here's how this works. <laughs> because me and a group of my friends were all socially illiterate, socially not astute, we miss social cues. Okay. A lot of us do. Right. So we had this plan that if we noticed that somebody in our social group was being hit on by somebody at a party, we would walk up and tap the person on the shoulder and say, hey, by the way, the lizard woman's here. Right? Okay. That was the social, the uh, the secret clue that you knew, okay, this person is has some kind of romantic and, or or maybe maybe not romantic but just infatuation whatever some yeah. kind of attractive intent right you could respond in a couple of ways you could say really i hadn't heard that i'll have to i'll have to catch up with her when that meant i didn't understand thanks for the heads up okay or yeah i saw her walk in that meant i understand i understand i know what's going on and the other one was hey she owes me money excuse me for a moment and then you could walk away from the conversation oh. if you were in the conversation and you didn't want to didn't want to be in it. Okay. So you could actually walk away because of that, uh, because of this, um, this secret code word we had. <laughs> okay. I'm just imagining like so, uh, over time, you know, all, all of the women in your friend group trying to figure out who the heck is the lizard woman. Is it you? Is it me? I don't, they keep mentioning this lizard woman. Has anybody seen her? I right. don't know. Boy, these guys, no wonder these guys can't get a date. <laughs> right, you know? Well, there were women that we would say this to as well. You know, there oh, were women in our friend so group. So they were in on it. This yeah. wasn't just a, just a, you know, bro kind of thing. No, no. Okay. No, this, right. was, this was a lot of us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How'd that work out for you, Joe? Uh, nobody ever told me the lizard woman was there. <laughs> Probably because no women were ever expressing interest in me at a party. Oh, you've been happily married for a long, long I have, time now. Yeah. So I'd yeah, say it's all, all's well that ends well. No, yeah, it, is, it is very good. I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm fine yeah. with the way things turned out. There you go. All right. Well, uh, again, our thanks to Andrew Hendel. He is the founder and CEO of Marshmallow. We appreciate him taking the time. When we have guests like this uh, who represent a company, I'm always, I hesitate sometimes because I don't want it to sound like a commercial for their company. Right. You know, because in a way we are promoting the company. Right. Um, but I think the flip side of that is when someone comes along with something that is a clever approach to something that we're all familiar with, and I think Marshmallow is doing this. Right. Um, I think it's worth talking about in, in that sort of framework. So, uh, apologies to our audience if it sounds like a little bit of uh, an ad for Marshmallow. I don't intend for it to be that. But, right. uh, but they've got some real market differentiation here. 
Yeah, exactly. And it, and it leads to a good conversation, I think, about some important things. Yeah, hopefully other dating apps will pick this up. Yeah. We want to thank all of you for listening. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors at Before. They are experts at enabling a fully integrated approach to security awareness training. All right. Well, that is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. Our thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. 